I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Utah Weekly Forum, a public affairs show dedicated to learning more about the issues affecting our lives and health and exploring the resources available in our diverse communities to help. Here's your host, Rebecca Cressman. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and today we're going to talk about something that touches all of our lives, and it's suicide prevention and the Live On campaign, what we can do as a community, as neighbors, as family members to create safe spaces in our homes and in our communication. Joining us today, Dr. Michael Staley. He is the Suicide Prevention Research Coordinator uh, with the state of Utah and in the Office of the Medical Examiner. Dr. Staley, Thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Clark Aposhan is also with us. He's the chair of the Utah Shooting Sports Council. And uh, Clark, thank you for making this a priority as well. Uh, we, we uh, the Utah Shooting Sports Council, have made this a priority for many years now. We're happy and uh, glad that you have asked us to join in. So let's talk about the Live On goals for this year, 2023. And one of them in particular, which is creating safe connections and safe environments. So I'm going to go first to Dr. Staley. Let's talk about what that means when we say safe connections. Yeah. So when we talk about safe environments and safe spaces and safe connections, we're talking about making sure that people who are at risk of suicide uh, are not able to get a hold of lethal means. That means making sure that um, firearms, that medications, uh, in abundance, alcohol, all those kinds of things are uh, out of reach, that they're locked up, that somebody is dispensing that medication, that somebody's holding that firearm, um, and that that person uh, that's at risk is, doesn't have access to alcohol. And, and so it's about time and distance. We know that when we give vulnerable people, people at risk of suicide, just a little bit more time, a little bit more distance from those lethal means, the, their chances of actually going through with attempting suicide and consequently dying by suicide decrease significantly. So if we were to kind of just look at emotions and suicide ideation, when someone's thinking it would be better not to live than to live, that if that moment we can remove the most high risk elements around them and provide them support, that that moment can pass without them grabbing lethal means. Is that a correct understanding, Dr. Staley? Yeah, that's right. There's been an abundance of research that shows that people who are thinking about suicide, do so for relatively short intervals of time. It's uh, you know a matter of five minutes, uh, sometimes from the point of that final decision of wanting to someone wanting to end their own life to the point of them actually attempting suicide. And if we can just get them through those five minutes, maybe ten, uh, then then that will remind them. Oh, you know, I want to be there for um, my son's birthday party next week, or you know what, I I don't actually want to do this. Things are really bad, but I can think of at least one reason to live or, or something to look forward to. 
it's really these crisis points where we have to, to make sure that people are safe, which, of course, we don't know when those are going to come. Uh, and that's why that going back to creating safe spaces and safe environments, it's just important to do that all the time for people who are struggling with suicidal ideation. Yes, and that's where the Live On Playbook that we'll be talking about plays such an important role. Clark, I really appreciated your words where you said the Utah Shooting Sports Council has always valued keeping people safe when there's firearms in the home. So let's talk about that, especially because firearms are so prevalent in Utah homes. How can we have our homes safer? How can we have our loved ones safer when mental health challenges are so common. Uh, Indeed. And, you know, as gun owners, we've been taught to respect our firearms, but also to secure those firearms against unauthorized access. And that's that authorized access. Who shouldn't have access? And that can change. That changes drastically when someone in your home is in crisis. Because like Dr. Staley said, it can be a matter of five to maybe 10 to 12 minutes of that ideation. And if you can delay access to that firearm or the pills or the alcohol for that period of time. I'm not saying that they're all better after that, but that impulsive ideation to act, you know, it diminishes um, so much. And so that's why we encourage, you know, with that. In fact, you can find out even more if you go to at Live on Utah on Instagram. There's cute, there's great modules there. Sign up for that program and uh, and take these courses absolutely free and they're they're wonderful courses that talk about securing firearms that talk about how to talk to people too about that and it sounds like we need to get ready for that to be an emotional conversation you know it'll be a very awkward one too sometimes but you know if you if you build up to it if your if your spouse has you know or your family member has bouts of crisis and and it's not an unusual thing um you know in in our life today People go through these crisis moments and get used to talking to them about what we need to do in the home to make that a safer environment, especially in those times of lucidity. That feels like to me is when someone speaks to a good friend about how they're feeling down and how they're feeling depressed and how they've thought about taking their life, that good friend could turn to him and say or her, could I hold your gun for you? I'd like to hold your gun for just a few days as we get you through this difficult time. It can be that powerful of a conversation that says, I love you and let's hold on to this. Those who've just joined us, that is Clark Aposhian. He's the chair of the Utah Shooting Sports Council. We also have with us Dr. Michael uh, Staley. He's the suicide prevention research coordinator with the Office of the Medical Examiner. And so let's talk about those conversations, uh, Dr. Staley. How important are they for us to ask questions of people around us? how they're feeling and if they are considering suicide and whether they have a firearm or pills or alcohol that we can secure for them for a period of time. Yeah. Well, let's back up just one step. Absolutely. Um, which, uh, some of us are not even afforded the, the opportunity to do this, but if we can normalize talking about mental health and talking about uh, and checking in on each other, these you know, conversations about holding firearms or helping somebody dispense their medication and lock up excess medication become a lot less awkward when that point of crisis comes down down the turnpike. Uh, and so I would first say that the, one of the billboards that showed up on I-15 that I passed every day on my commute to work was, how do you know if somebody's thinking about suicide? Ask. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's a, number one, a great point. That's a great 
message, but also it just gave people an excuse to turn to the passenger, which could be an Uber driver or a parent talking to their child or someone talking to their elderly parent, you know, about suicide and checking in. It gave people an excuse to talk about what might otherwise be really difficult to bring up. But if you break that barrier and we know that we're checking in on each other, then when it comes time to talk about firearm, holding somebody's firearm or locking up medications or maybe removing alcohol from somebody's home, it's not quite the same, you know, abruptness. It's not the same like, ooh, this is going to be rough because you already have that relationship with that person. But I've had those conversations with families and with um, people that I care for deeply uh, that I knew going in like this could go really bad. They could be really upset with me. I know that this you know, firearm it means a lot to them. I know that they um, really feel safer with a firearm in their home. So I don't know how this is going to go. But then, you know, when I'm in my head and thinking about what comes next, I, I have to remind myself I'm doing this because I love them. And if they're mad at me, I would so much rather have them be upset with me than them to actually attempt suicide or to lose them. So very true. And I think everyone has known somebody either in their community or close to them in their family that has taken their own life. And the grief from that compounds with time and it ripples and echoes on and on to so many people as they just wish that that person would have known how much their life meant to others. And I, that's why I feel like it's so powerful, Dr. Staley, when you say, if you have those conversations that normalize talking about mental health, it makes it easier to cross that bridge because for years and, and decades, we didn't feel like it was appropriate to ask that deep of a question. No, these were, these were our deepest, darkest secrets, right? Right. And now, just as often as we ask somebody, how's the fam or how's your work, we should be asking them, how are you feeling? How's your mental health? And, and making that normal. Let's talk about the Live On Playbook because, Clark, you gave us a, a great thumbs up that the courses that are available can help all of us maybe not become as skilled as Dr. Michael Staley at having conversations about suicide, but feel empowered, be ready to have those conversations. So what type of information, Dr. Staley, is in the Live On Playbook? First, it's just some basic information about suicide itself. There's a lot of myths out there. Um, and and, you know, when somebody's looking at you and you see their face start to droop and maybe their, their speech is slurred, I think generally most people know that that person is probably having a stroke and that they need to call 911. And, that, you know, the great public health campaigns have done a good job of getting out there and getting that person to, to help sooner is going to have a better outcome in the long run. And we haven't had that kind of uh, public health take up of warning signs and risk factors for suicide. And so the public, sorry, the um, Live On Playbook does exactly that. It it helps people understand like, wait a minute. So they did this one thing, but not this other thing, but it doesn't take all of these things to equal this person's at risk of suicide. So it's really some basic foundations of, of understanding who might be at risk of suicide. But then more importantly, it gives the people who are engaging in these uh, short lessons, uh, some things that they can do, some easy things that they can do, some language to use around talking about suicide and where to go to get more help. 
a few moments ago, Clark Aposian, by the way, who's with us today, he mentioned just how the how powerful these small lessons were when he when you go to live on uh, on Instagram. So, Clark, I wanted to ask you, what were some of the things that resonated with you when you were going through some of those posts? You know, very good because it, it identifies that you care about these people, like Dr. Staley said. These are your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and it allows you to talk to them in a way that you're familiar with. It's kind of like we're all familiar with how to uh, take the keys from somebody that's drunk that you care about, you know, like, hey, let me let me babysit your keys for a minute. And and it, and it talks about why and the signs to look for and that type of thing. And that's something, you know, it equates something we know with something we aren't familiar with doing, but it but it sounds right. It, it's just like, you know, we would take the keys from a drunk Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Because we care about them. Are we going to limit access to firearms, to drugs, to pills, to alcohol, to that same person when they're in crisis? And this this uh, Live on Utah on Instagram is a fantastic resource. You can you can go through it at your own pace. Um, it's 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 very comprehensive, but really to the point. Um, there's no boring parts in it whatsoever. Very true, because Live on Utah on Instagram, it has information about how to talk about mental health and our role in suicide prevention. Uh, one post, for example, five things you should know about suicide, guiding us when to check in, really helpful information. And the website, liveonutah.org, also has such great, interesting information that can help us feel more confident about being a live-on ambassador. And you both have done such a great job drawing parallels because we know that certain things can put us at greater risk, right? If you see someone riding by in a motorcycle and they don't have a helmet and they're, you know, go 90 miles down the road, you think, oh my gosh, they're at risk. We got to watch for that. But people are at risk of suicide ideation when different life events come. And Live On, the website, liveonutah.org, talks about those things, whether it's a recent rejection or divorce, whether it's the death of a loved one. Uh, are they already um, embattled with depression, struggling with that? Do they have a serious health condition? What, what to look for? Increased use of alcohol or drugs, a loss of a job, these kind of pivotal points that can occur in anybody's life that can tip us into feeling hopeless and despondent. And so understanding those risk factors, to me, is, is a great foundational uh, piece of information, Dr. Staley. Yeah, and it's really empowering, too. I, I felt empowered, even though this is kind of what I do all day, talk about all day, every day. I found the Live On Playbook to be really empowering because it was direct. It 
I didn't have to read an Oxford textbook of 1,200 pages to figure out 10 things I could do to help my friends. Um, and and that's, it just was really accessible, too. Um, so, so strongly recommend it. And in terms of what we do when we are seeing, okay, we know uh, a loved one or a friend is at risk. We're having those conversations to say, are you okay? What if we are seeing warning signs and, you know, we, we're fearful for them? What would be the next step? Clark, what have you learned from the Live on Utah campaign? Absolutely. I am so glad you asked this. Act and act immediately. Don't wait for the weekend. Don't wait for that perfect opportunity. These people are in crisis. You may have been given an interesting glimpse into uh, their ideation. Um, And uh, I mean, I could tell you stories, but uh, act immediately. As in, if, if you see that, you know, within those, you know, we're talking 30 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half. Act right then. Stop what you're doing and take that opportunity to separate the, the most lethal means, the pills, the, uh, the drugs, the alcohol, the firearms. Uh, separate them or put, put up roadblocks, uh, secure those firearms, uh, that type of thing. And you know, like I said, you may have had that glimpse that no one else has had. Please don't wait a day. Don't wait till the weekend. Do it right then and there. Thank you, Clark. I'll keep thinking of that act. Now, Dr. Seeley, tell us what that looks like. What is that act now intervention? What are the steps we should be taking? Yeah, the first thing I'd say is it's really alarming when you get this news. Uh, and I, my brain goes into crisis land, which is a pretty scary and, and bleak place. Uh, and it seems like everything I've known and everything I've learned about suicide and what I should do next leaves for just a moment before it comes back. Um, lean into that. But also, I want you to know that you can call 988 and you can speak to a, a trained professional who deals with crises all day, every day, um, and say, my friend is going through the suicidal crisis. I'm, gonna, I'm driving to their house right now to help them. What, what should I do? Um, and that they're there to help you as a bystander. It's not just the people in crisis that can call 988. Um, they're they're very empowering, uh, and if need be, I, I would carry that phone still connected to 988 into the house and, and engage in a conversation with your friend, with your family member, with the person you care for, with the crisis worker from 988 right there on the line. Um, and also that normalizes it. It says you're not in this alone. And, and we can get through this together. And I'm going to be here with you through through this, whatever comes next, whether that be um, going to the emergency room or, or just going for a walk until things de- de-escalate. And I can resonate with those emotions. I, uh, I'll share just openly that I've had a very close loved one experience suicidal ideation two or three times in his life. And, and the heart rate goes up and your fear is up and your love for them and your panic. And it, there is such power in knowing you're not alone as a friend or family member that you can call 988, that that resource is there for you too. And of course, when we are intervening, when you do go to their house, 
spouse, when you do reach out and hold their hand, when you do talk on the phone, when you say, we can find resources, you might be too mentally tired to feel like there's hope. I can pick up the phone. I can text 988. I can call 988. I'm here with you. That power of saying, in this dark moment, you're not alone. Your life is so important. I'm right here with you. So I'm very emotional about what you share, Dr. Sethi, because I can resonate with that feeling of panic, like, oh, um, that we have. But knowing that there are resources for all of us, we're not alone. I know, Clark, that's important for you, too. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it, it, it's so true. But, you know, it, it's it's also so common um, to let these, these people know that they're, they are not alone. It's, it's very common. I mean, goodness sakes, uh, that's why we got into it in Utah Shooting Sports Council eight, nine years ago is when we found out that, unfortunately, you know, we, we have a very low homicide rate here in Utah, probably fourth or fifth lowest in the nation, but we have the fifth or sixth highest suicide rate, and most of those are with firearms because they're, they are very accessible, they're very effective. And, you know, when we talk about our gun deaths, 86% of all of our gun deaths in Utah were firearms. And so if we can limit that access to that, as long with the pills, the drugs, the alcohol, if we can limit that access or slow it down by babysitting someone's firearms, we can have up to an 80% less likely uh, chance that they're going to attempt suicide. Clark, does the Utah Shooting Sports Council have information that you share either online or other resources about that, how to navigate of removing those arms so that uh, that person who is at risk is in a safer zone? Uh, we do have links on our website, utahshootingsportscouncil.org, and uh, that, that people can go to. But we really rely on uh, our our partners in uh, from everywhere, from Intermountain Healthcare to the Utah Suicide Prevention Coalition, uh, the Utah Department of Health, and and that uh, to give the best to give the best information. You know, each of us hopes that we are that safe place that people in our life would feel comfortable enough to share with us what's happening inside them, the feelings that they're having. But we might need help uh, developing that kind of relationship too. So Dr. Staley, does the Live On Playbook talk about that, about how to set that foundation of a trusting communication? It does. It, it, it helps to get that conversation started, and it helps lay that foundation, um, hopefully even before this crisis comes our way, if, our, if this crisis ever comes our way, which we know it will for, for many people. Um, yeah, it, that's, it, it lays that's a playbook, right? It, it's like, okay, so here's where we're at, and here's where we need to go. Here's where we need to go next in our conversation and in our, in our actions. And here, and it's free to enroll. In fact, as Clark mentioned, you just go to Live on Utah on Instagram. You enroll, and you can take a look at each of those posts, that each lesson taking just a few minutes uh, in order to become, which I think this is a very powerful term, a suicide prevention ambassador. And what does that look like for you, Clark? It, it means I can be there for my family, my friends, my loved ones, the coworkers. Those are the, we're the people that are going to see those folks in crisis well before any, you know, any, any medical professional does or anything like that. And we can get them. We're, we're not, you know, we're not clinicians. We're not uh, doctors uh, other than Dr. Michael Staley, but we, uh, we can reach out. We can, we can identify the resources. We know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And, you know, 
being an ambassador, we can reach out and we can help other people do that as well. Right. And and putting that priority to also make the environment safe around that mm-hmm. person is are that 80 percent less likely to attempt suicide if they don't have access to guns and pills and alcohol. Uh, so how important that is. Dr. Staley, if someone is looking yeah. for more information about becoming a suicide prevention ambassador or just learning what we can do, Dr. Staley, what other resources are there? Yeah, first, I just want to say that doctor or not, I've had these conversations with my own family uh, and some sometimes my friends, and it's not any easier for me uh, than it would be for you. And the important thing there is not your credentials or anything like that. It's who you are. It's your relationship that you have with that person. So when we we talk about this and the, and the folks listening to this, Clark is talking to you and I'm talking to you. Um, it's not you who else. Don't assume somebody else will act. But for those looking for more information, go to the playbook, do the playbook, get engaged that way. You might start to think of people in your life who are like, you know, I could I could really use this playbook to help with my friend or my family member. And if you want more than that, liveonutah.org has plenty of other listed trainings from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, from various other parts of, of our state, from NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness that can get you the next step, uh, learning how to to develop those questions, to persuade somebody to get help. Um, QPR is where I'm going, uh, for those of you who know what that means, um, and other kinds of trainings as well. Even trainings for clinicians out there who are already practicing mental health but just need to really sharpen and hone their skills when it comes to helping people who are feeling suicidal. Thank you. And let me add a personal thank you, Dr. Michael Staley, for choosing a field that helps save the lives of our loved ones and friends around us. Uh, He is the Suicide Prevention Research Coordinator with the Office of the Medical Examiner in the state of Utah. And of course, thank you to you, Clark Aposhian, the chair of the Utah Shooting Sports Council. Did you have any other final thoughts you wanted to share? Boy, I was getting choked up there. You know, just think about the last thing somebody in crisis needs is access to lethal means. And uh, if we can limit those, that uh, that's important because we love them. Because we love them. Thank you for that. And of course, you can get more information at liveonutah.org. And don't forget to check out the Live on Utah playbook. Just look up Live on Utah on Instagram. And if you're in a crisis, remember, you can text or dial 988. Thank you for joining us today. Utah Weekly Forum is produced by KSFI FM 100.3 in Salt Lake City, a Bonneville International Station. Subscribe to the Utah Weekly Forum podcast online and email us at Rebecca at FM100.com. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. 
Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.